bizarre. How bizarre, how bizarre. Who remembers that song, big in the 90s? All right, it is bizarre. But you know what, it's getting a little bit normal. All these crazy cases against Donald Trump, and they are crazy, they are without merit. It is my responsibility, however, to address these things the way few others are doing. You may have noticed by now that most people in the media never actually read the reports. They don't read the her report. They don't read the Mueller report. And they don't read this judge's crazy ruling. To some extent, I don't blame them, uh, but I basically do. You have to. You have to confront this stuff. And I have. And I've seen some interesting matters that have received no attention that must receive some. Some of these issues are not that big. Others are absolutely huge. Let's start with something medium, okay? Medium. The state of New York brought in this guy, Michael, he spells his name a little bit funny, McCarty. He's a financier. He was New York State's expert witness, right? He was the plaintiff. He had information. His analysis said that Trump was a, a bad guy and engaged in, in fraud and all kinds of other things, right? He was their expert witness. New York State has a budget of $230 billion. Hundreds of thousands of people work for New York State. They had to find this guy and pay him $400,000 to testify and go through the paperwork. And he didn't even work in real estate at any point, not on the resume that the judge was so excited about. And the judge was really excited that this guy went to the Wharton School. Hey, he went to the Wharton School. He must know what he's talking about. He was very impressed. Why wasn't he impressed that Donald Trump went to the Wharton School? Uh, Donald Trump Jr. went to the Wharton School. And Ivanka Trump went to the Wharton School. As I said, this is not the biggest thing. But $400,000? I understand that sometimes this happens. It shouldn't be happening. The government should not be paying people that kind of money. If they don't have their own experts to do it, maybe it's not worth doing. And the judge himself, wow, what a piece of work. And now that I've gone through this thing, I really think this guy is, well, deranged. And he was part of a conspiracy, really hurt Trump politically before the election. The appeal, don't worry about it. We'll all be dead before that thing uh, comes around in five, 10 years. Uh, every little discrepancy, every little thing that might have been a thing, he thought was fraud. He doesn't seem to understand that accounting mistakes, well, happen all the time. The government does them to the tune of many, many billions, sometimes trillions of dollars. In the accounting industry, actually, they generally recognize that mistakes happen. And many of them, actually most of them, 82% are consider, considered accidental by academics, business academics. 82% are accidental. Anyway, back to the judge. He is convinced that anything that Donald Trump did, that if there's a discrepancy, or if there's any room for debate, it must be fraud. Well, I think he's the fraud. And I actually think he's lying in this opinion. And I'm about to show you. Uh, Donald Trump is the part owner of two buildings, 555 California Street in San Francisco, seen in the first Dirty Harry movie, by the way, and uh, 1296th Avenue. Donald Trump owns 30% through Vornado. Vornado is a company. Donald Trump has a 30% stake 
in that, all right? Now, according to the judge, this is really bad that Donald Trump considers this cash. Every year, Donald Trump's interest in the Vornado partnership was included in the cash portion of his SFC, falsely indicating that it was at his disposal and that it was liquid when it clearly and contractually was not. Now, look at that word. You see? Cash. Cash is in quotes. Remember that. Next, please. The Trump Foundation from the SFC's cash assets, okay? He's always talking about cash, just the word cash. Well, I have the SFC. This is the, um, the statement of financial condition for Donald Trump from the Mazars accounting firm. And by the way, they are a piece of work. I'll get to them later. Um, this is what Mazars said about the Vernado Trust. Page one of this thing. Take a look. Cash and cash equivalents. Escrow, reserve deposits, and prepaid expenses. The judge took that word cash by itself. But the column, the whole entry is for cash and cash equivalents. Later in this report by the accounting firm Mazars, funds in the amount of 8.4 have been escrowed pursuant to the terms of the loan in place as of June 30th, 2019. This asset is reflected in this financial statement under the caption, escrow, reserve deposits, and prepaid expenses. Back to that initial column, cash and cash equivalent, cash equivalents, escrow, reserve deposits, prepaid expenses. Really? You're going to try to ruin the guy over this? I think, Judge, you should be ruined. That was very, very misleading, what you did with the cash, right? That's a little game you're playing, isn't it? These would be good questions for... Prosecutors, right? Attorneys, government attorneys. You ever notice that whenever they have the chance to talk to the media, they run away? I'm deeply proud to stand shoulder to shoulder with them. Thank you very much. Why Florida, sir? Why did you decide to bring... These women and men are public servants of the very highest order, and it is a privilege to work alongside them. Thank you. Why didn't you charge any of the other co-conspirators? The rule of law applies to all of us equally, fairly, and justly. Thank you. Why did they run away? What, a big moment. You're indicting somebody. You just got some sort of conviction. You got a judge to agree with you. Don't you take some questions? No, because they can't handle questions. They don't have to worry about it, really, because the media stink these days. But these are not good people. These are not good people. And what they did to Alan Weisselberg, the CFO at the Trump Organization, from everything I know, this is a good guy, and he didn't do anything wrong. And I think the prosecutors knew that, too. But they were out to get him. This is Mark Pomerantz, the book that he wrote, the stuff that this guy admitted to. He's a former federal prosecutor who volunteered to help the attorney general and the district attorney in New York, his own free time to help find a way to get Trump. So this is his suspicion about Weisselberg. Okay, let's start with that. We suspected there were skeletons in Weisselberg's closet, if only because he had worked closely with Trump for decades. How about that, huh? Is that evidentiary? Does that sound like blind justice? 
it gets worse, a lot worse. The audio version of his book where he boasts about trying to get Trump. Kerry and I also discussed calling Wesselberg's lawyer to fire a warning shot over his bow. We could say that we might be coming after Wesselberg without specifying what we had on him, which was very little at that point, in the hope that he would get scared and fall into our laps as a witness. That's, um, that's like KGB stuff, right? That's not America. And the hope that he would get scared and fall into our laps as a witness. Shame on these people. This is, this is Gestapo stuff. And it gets worse. It really does. Look at some of the nonsense these guys have pulled on American citizens. I heard about an episode in which a federal prosecutor had invited a potential cooperator to meet and had set up an elaborate charade, creating a mock war room with file cabinets, supposedly, but not actually, filled with incriminating evidence. The prosecutor had gone so far as to stage a fake telephone call, pretending to have received a call from his boss about the potential cooperator and responding with, yes, I'm with him now. Okay, but I think we should give him one last chance to help himself. Well, that lawyer, that prosecutor should have been disbarred. Uh, as for Mark Pomeran, so that's an interesting technique. I like to do it this way, uh, maybe a little bit different. And what do they do? How are they a little bit different? They can't get anything on Weisselberg, so they try to look at Weisselberg's son. And then they try to look at Weisselberg's ex-wife, who doesn't like the son anymore. Alan's son, Barry Weisselberg, also worked for the Trump Organization, and Barry and his wife, Jennifer, had gone through a bitter divorce. Oh, boy, here it comes. Jennifer had been spilling her guts to the press about the Weisselberg family and their relationship with Trump, and she had met several times with the District Attorney of New York personnel prior to my arrival. And <laughs> in those meetings, she had spoken about a free apartment that Trump had given her and Barry as a wedding present, and she had spoken generally about the relationship between Trump and Alan Weisselberg. And then they get excited. Ah, a free apartment. Did he file the appropriate paperwork between 2011 and 2017? These people are lowlifes. Now, let me go to the accounting for Mazars. Is that what they call themselves? Mazars? They famously dumped Trump as a client. The word was they were, oh, gosh, we had no idea they were so sloppy with the paperwork. Now, it looks like they were intimidated and scared by the general culture, the climate, especially post-January 6th. You may remember, I mean, Trump politically seemed to be dead meat, right? Except if you watch this show, I knew everything was going to work out. Remember the Trump signs coming down early in the administration, right? Everywhere there was Trump. People wanted them taken down. So after January 6th, of course, uh, Twitter and Facebook, um, you know, it's closed to Donald Trump. Everything seems closed to Donald Trump. Corporate America turns their back on him. Hey, something else in this uh, trial from last week that ended. The penalty is odd. Yeah, you heard about the $450 million, but it's a three-year ban from running companies in New York. It's not a lot of time. It's interesting, right? The $450 million and only three years? Is this like the, a Freudian slip uh, in sentencing? They realize that this is no big deal. How about the Suns? They only got two years, a two-year ban, a $450 million fine, and two-year. 
something, it's literally not adding up. When it's really serious, Michael Milken, who remembers the financier, right? Great big fine. And a lifetime ban. He had a lifetime ban from the securities industry. It goes on like this. Uh, Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes, remember her? She's in jail right now. A 90-year ban from the federal health programs for what she did. Uh, Shkreli, the farmer bro, uh, lifetime ban from the pharmaceutical industry, ordered to pay $64 million. Pete Rose, lifetime ban from baseball. They actually understand very deep inside that they don't have the goods on Trump, all right? And that judge, that strange judge, what was he thinking, huh? What's going to come out on this guy? How is this all going to play out? I don't know exactly, but it's going to be spectacular. Trust me. All right. When we come back, Nikki Haley all over the television today. You know, they never carry Trump rallies, but Nikki Haley was on every single network today. Why? I'll have that when we come back. You know, when people tell me that Nikki Haley is in cahoots with Democrats and uh, big portions of the deep state are moving heaven and earth to propel her candidacy, I think uh, you're exactly right. <laughs> they won't take Trump rallies, right? None of the cables do. We do. Uh, but everybody stopped what they were doing today to listen to what Nikki Haley had to say at, at noon on a Tuesday. Totally bizarre and totally full of herself and delusional. I don't know. All that money, some, it just doesn't make sense. When nothing makes sense, money is at work, all right? My grandparents told me that. Uh, she said some interesting things, revealing things, actually, revealing things about her, and not in a good way. That's why I refuse to quit. South Carolina will vote on Saturday. But on Sunday, I'll still be running for president. I'm not going anywhere. You go, girl. You go. That stuff worked 20 years ago. It doesn't work anymore. She's so schmaltzy and corny. I can't stand it. And if she does lose by 20 points, how dare she keep running? What's going on here? Next. I've heard from a retired Army medic who looked evil in the eye when he says we're headed toward disaster, that American lives are on the line. He knows what he's talking about. He knows we can't afford more of the same. That's why he told me to give him hell. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. A retired army medic who looked evil in the eye. That's a little bit uh, vague, isn't it? Looked evil in the eye. Hey, we all seen Hillary Clinton, all right? That's no big deal. Bad, just kidding. All right. This gets more self-righteous and annoying. Nothing good in life comes easy. I'm willing to take the cuts, the bruises, and the name-calling, because the only way you get to the blessing is by going through the pain. Dropping out would be the easy route. I've never taken the easy route. I've been the underdog in every race I've ever run. I've always been David taking on Goliath. And like David, I'm not just fighting someone bigger than me. I'm fighting for something bigger than myself. Oh, man, is anybody else nauseous? I'm sorry. You know, she's like, I'm suffering. I'm, I'm making this sacrifice. She never had it so good. 
All right, take a look, right? This is rock star stuff. The moment she stops running for president, guess what? The bus company gets their bus back and they take her silly sticker off the side. Uh, and did she say she's like David versus Goliath? Not true. This woman does not tell the truth. When she ran for governor the first time, guess what miniature people were backing her? Mitt Romney. Yeah. Uh, him. <laughs> How about the incumbent governor, Mark Sanford? You know, the guy who likes to go to Argentina or go to West Virginia or one or the other. And, uh, hey, the good old boys. You know, the people that she says, uh, you know, she didn't, doesn't need anymore. You know, like, the, the, she, she was kind of backed by the establishment. And she pretends otherwise. That is pretty low, pretty low. Then there's this that's pretty bizarre. We are going to have a female president of the United States. It will either be me or it will be Kamala Harris. And if Donald Trump is the nominee of the, in, for the Republican Party, he will not win. Every poll shows that. He will not win. And we will have a president, Kamala Harris. Polls do not show that. That whole Trump is unelectable, that, 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 that ended a year ago. The data shows that Trump can beat Biden. The nerve of this person... It's almost like she's rooting for Trump to be convicted in one of these sham trials. Never forget that about her. And then back to the lying. Uh, well, there was more lying. We need a president that's going to give us eight years of focus and discipline, not one that's going to be sitting there ranting about how he's a victim and how, you know, this isn't right and how this isn't just. He hasn't once talked about the American people, and that's the problem I have with you, all of this. You, we have watched... Trump talk about anything from revenge after New Hampshire to being a victim after all of these court cases. He's going to be in a courtroom for the rest of this year. You can't win a general election if you're sitting in a courtroom. Yeah, she said that's all he talks about. All he talks about Trump is his court cases. Well, the court cases have been, strangely enough, politically helpful, and he does talk about them, and I think he has to. He's not only defending himself, but this could happen to people like us, to regular people. The other night, he spent 14 minutes on it. You know what else he talked about? Oh, issues like uh, the border, crime, the economy, the foreign policy. That adds up to almost an hour of stuff uh, related to all of us. Nikki Haley is not honest. It's one of them. And she's totally cornball. And she thinks we fall for that stuff. Anyway, how bizarre, right? How bizarre is this moment, but it's a great one too. I am so optimistic. I hope you are too. I'll be right back. He loves the constitution. He fights for what's right. He hates the bad guys. He's a freedom warrior. He's your freedom warrior. Watch Carl Higby every weekday on Newsmax. If he does not have funds uh, to pay off the judgment, uh, then we will seek, uh, you know, judgment enforcement mechanisms in court, and we will ask the judge to seize his assets. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> they have gone way, way, way too far. Um, this is all going to become unraveled. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I do believe Judge Napolitano agrees with me. One of our favorite judges. Welcome back. Good to see you. Uh, I've gotten a flavor, a sense of your overall take on this Judge Engeron. But do me a favor for our viewers and once and for me, 
what is your what is your viewpoint on what happened on Friday and what we're dealing with now? Well, my view, first of all, Greg, it's always a pleasure uh, to be with you. It brings back memories from our prior lives. Um, my viewpoint is that this was a monumental act of theft, that the Trump organization was assessed nearly $400 million for a crime it didn't commit and for harm it didn't cause. The whole purpose of allowing somebody to sue somebody else is because the person suing was harmed. The government couldn't demonstrate any harm that was caused to it because there was no harm here. The lenders who lumped the money to Donald Trump said, we sent our own uh, appraisers to examine the properties that he pledged, and we concluded that his evaluations of his properties were well within the range we expected. We not only didn't lose any money from what we loaned to him and to the Trump organization, we would do it again if he were still in the market for these kind of loans. So this whole charade in the courtroom, partially the fault of a legislature from 100 years ago that wrote this statute, partially the fault of a judge who just refused to recognize the constitutional and natural rights that Donald Trump had, partially the fault of an attorney general who made political promises when she was running for office to get Donald Trump and then carried through on those promises, resulted in a monumental injustice, a theft of property from him, and I'm waiting for the appellate courts to reverse it. Can I throw in another uh, party to be blamed, the media? You know, not long ago, yeah. we had giant columnists, we had, you know, papers of record, and you had to get things by them, and you couldn't get by a crummy case like this. So they have right. totally caved, they're totally ineffective, and they're just along for the ride. You're right. The media, because of its animosity towards Donald Trump, whether it's his personality, his character, his politics, his presidency, whatever it is, portrayed uh, this trial uh, as if Letitia James was slaying a dragon. In reality, she was robbing a giant. And it will take, unfortunately, the appellate courts about three or four years before they get to this case, Greg, because the cases get online and there's so many cases ahead of this one. Now, the clip you just ran is very disturbing. I'm talking about the clip where she said, we will seize to levy on his assets. The only way he can avoid that seizure is to, you ready for this? Is to deposit $400 million in cash in the court's bank account or to purchase a bond naming the Supreme Court of the state of New York as the beneficiary and the uh, the premiums on that bond, the monthly premiums he'll have to pay would be would be extraordinary. Judge, I don't know if you some of the investigation took place in 2021, 2022. I do believe that the AG and the district attorney here were trying to spook people about Trump. It was in the aftermath of uh, January 6th. You know, they were, I think they were intimidating them, bringing them downtown, asking accountants all kinds of questions like Mazars or Mazars or whatever it is. And they got nervous. They, you can kind of see it if you dig down. Let me just ask you about the judge, though. At times he was cross-examining witnesses himself. He had a clerk sitting right next to him. Beyond the, the stuff we know about him being weird, how about just those two things? It seemed very strange to me. Well, when you don't, when you don't have a jury, 
judges often take over the direct or the cross-examination in order to get to the end of it, because uh, lawyers sometimes will use 10 words where one will do or ask 10 questions where two will do. Uh, I used to do that a lot myself. I can't criticize him for that. No, and I also not. can't criticize him for having the clerk right there. I often had my clerk sit next to me and pass notes continuously. All Get right. me this opinion. Get me this case. I need to quote this, and I have to have the book in front of me. You handwrite the note, and you hand it to your uh, to your clerk. All right, but I my get it. problem with the judge is his refusal to recognize and respect Trump's constitutional rights to his own property. His refusal to look at this from the perspective of the Constitution and the rights that Trump had, because the state suffered no harm here, but yet it's allowed to steal $400 million from him. The judge was cross-examining, and you just told me that's fine, I accept that, but he was, he, he took on an expertise that he did not have, and those witnesses were not rebutted by the other side. He was serving the purpose of being the, re the rebuttal force, which I thought was more the side, you know, the, the plaintiff has to now introduce their own expert to rebut the defense's expert. That's, that well, struck me well, as look, strange. If the judge takes over the examination, first of all, you don't do it in front of a jury because the jury will be misled uh, and think the judge is taking sides. But if he does it without a jury there, it, it must be fair, and it must appear to be fair. All right. If he's doing it in order to browbeat a witness or favor one side or the other, guess what? That's an appellate issue for Trump. And every time he did that, that's another section of the appellate brief. So here's something I found just a little while ago. This is actually the, a statement of financial condition from uh, Mazars, the accounting firm. And you may have heard of the Vornado Trust. And Donald Trump was counting this, according to the judge, as cash. And that was deceptive because, and he put cash. He counted it as cash, but he shouldn't have. If you go into the actual statement of financial condition, the actual state, the, what it says is cash and cash equivalents. Cash and cash equivalents. Escrow accounts, prepaid expenses. To me, this is, I, look, I'm not a finance guy. I am not a judge or a lawyer, but he's emphasizing cash, the word cash, and it says right here, cash and cash equivalents. That's different from cash alone, sir. And I feel like uh, it's just one sign of many that this guy is one bad dude, the judge. It's a, it's a narrow... Um a narrow view of the ability of the landowner or the property owner to evaluate his own worth uh, by putting blinders on. And again, it's an it's an issue for appellate review. This judge was appealed six times, twice before the trial started and four times during the trial. All six times, Greg, he was reversed. Well, guess what? The same four judges that reversed him six times are the ones who are going to hear the appeal on the final verge on the final verdict. I'm rather optimistic for Trump. I say rather optimistic because he will probably be elected president and serve his full term before this case reaches the appellate court. But once it does, I'm optimistic that it'll be reversed. Trump is innocent, I do believe. I think it is more complicated than 
either side has let on, even the defenders. You know, they're ignoring certain aspects of it, but he is innocent and he is a victim here. And Judge, I hope uh, when President Trump becomes president again, you guys have another sit down in the Oval Office and uh, we'll see what happens. Thank you, Greg. All the best, my friend. All right. You too. And uh, we'll be right back. Information. Truth. Is freedom. Is Newsmax. It's real news for real people. Churches desecrated, vandalized, even firebombed. It's been happening a lot. You would think the FBI, maybe even the Biden administration, would be publicly condemning this. Uh, not so much. I wonder why that is. Our friends at the Family Research Council, though, have been keeping a close eye on all of this. They identified 915 acts of hostility since 2018, and at least 430 of them happened last year in 2023 in 48 states. Tony Perkins, president of the Family Research Council, joins us once again. Tony, a privilege to talk to you. And I knew there was friction. I knew we were getting hell, but uh, I had no idea it was this bad. Well, Greg, thanks for covering this, first off. But yes, you're right. And, and what is alarming about this is last year, between 2022 and 2023, they more than doubled the number of incidents, over 400 incidents, as you laid out, uh, violence, uh, we had vandalism, we had firebombing, uh, we had bomb threats, we had shootings. And you know what, Greg, this is the result of the policies of the president administration. I mean, internationally, we've seen an indifference to religious freedom, which has led to persecution abroad. And we see hostility here at home, which is leading to basically a green light uh, for people to attack churches. I don't disagree, but do me a favor, enumerate, what are the specific policies that the Biden administration uh, has come up with that's led to this? That's a really, really good question, because you've got to dig into this to look at, number one, we can track where we saw the escalation when the Dobbs decision was uh, first leaked. That's when we saw a tremendous spike. Now, keep in mind that this is only tracking churches. This is not looking at the care pregnancy centers, which uh, they, they too have been attacked. It's not looking at Christian schools. They too have suffered attacks. This is just looking at churches. But we've seen this administration pushing very aggressively their abortion agenda, demonizing those who would stand in its way. Of course, then you add to that the whole uh, transgender policies that this administration has been aggressively pushing. And so when you look at that in light of biblical teaching, it runs counter to what Bible-believing churches not, not, not only believe, but teach. And so there is this effort being given a green light to those that want to silence and intimidate churches, driving them into the shadows of society. And that is the, the last thing churches need to do. They need to be prepared. They need to understand this threat is out there. They don't need to go forward in fear. They need to make the preparations, but they need to continue to proclaim truth and in teaching their people to live out that truth that's contained in the scripture. As you were speaking, we actually had some pictures of churches that have totally embraced um, the LGBTQ agenda. 
you know, some of these churches, I'm not sure if they have in their teaching, but certainly the signage outside, you know, is, uh, is a little much. I understand and I want all to be welcome, but that does not mean that the LGBTQ needs to be thrust in one's face. And uh, that's a problem. Overall, culturally, culturally, this seems to be, in addition to the Biden administration, there's something culturally happening. You mentioned LGBT, yeah. uh, the trans. Um, but hey, can I ask you this? The FBI, they have been openly downplaying it, haven't they? They've been openly downplaying this kind of violence. And I wonder why. Well, it doesn't fit with their narrative. I mean, they've been cracking down on pro-lifers. They've used more than any other administration. They've used the FACE Act, the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, to go after peaceful pro-lifers. But when, it look, when we look at these church attacks, it's been crickets. Uh, and we've called upon the administration to address it. Congress has tried to call upon the administration to address it. And, and, and it's nothing. This is hostility toward religious freedom. Now, Greg... You and I both know that religious freedom is not just the church that you choose to attend on Sunday. This is, it's the ability to live out your life in such a way that is consistent with your faith, teaching your children, you know, impacting your community. That's what bothers this administration. It's what bothers the left. It's because it is in contradiction to and in conflict with the agenda that they're pushing. You can find this report at frc.org, frc.org. Uh, Tony, if you don't mind, I, I, uh, I heard your name for decades. I had no idea that you were a Marine and a police officer. Could you tell us briefly uh, when and where and, and how and, and all that stuff? Well, I, 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 right out of high school, joined the Marine Corps, uh, served my country. The Marine Corps came out, was a police officer, actually then worked in anti-terrorism uh, in, until the, the Lord kind of called me into the political realm. And so I've been uh, in the political realm for about 30 years. But with that backdrop of uh, understanding the importance of law and order, uh, I've served as a pastor. That really is the foundation of a civil society, is law and order. And what we have under this administration is lawlessness. It is not an equal application of the law. And Greg, we've got to get back to that. We've got to live out our faith. But I tell you what, Christians, believers, people of faith must vote. We must elect men and women that understand this is a fundamental freedom and they have to be committed to protecting that right. Tony Perkins, so appreciate it. Uh, the Family Research Council, frc.org. Imagine that. It's doubled in the past year, attacks on places of worship, especially Christian places. Uh, well, thank you, sir, very, very much to be continued, and we'll be right back. watching. Yeah, I, I understand you exactly, but not exactly friendly. Greg Kelly over at Newsmax. The Newsmax people have been really, really terrific. Newsmax has been terrific. President Trump is right. Millions are tired of Fox, and they're switching to Newsmax Plus. It's the fastest growing streaming service in America. You don't need woke Disney and Hulu anymore. Just get Newsmax Plus. Watch the best shows like Greg Kelly, Rob Schmidt, Greta Van Susteren, and Eric Bowling. And get incredible analysis from Dick Morris, Alan Dershowitz, Carrie Lake, Mike Huckabee, and more. It's free to start. So go to NewsmaxPlus.com now to sign up and watch Newsmax anytime, anywhere. You've heard people say a million times, Donald Trump's tone is not presidential, right? 
uh, say it so much that if, even his supporters say, yeah, wow, if he could only change his tune. I mean, who's more presidential, right, in this little sequence we put together? We did nothing wrong. This is a whole hoax. This is just like the Russia, Russia, Russia deal. This is like the fake dossier. But here's what I know. I know Trump deserves to be investigated. He is violating every basic norm of a president. You should be asking him the question. Why did you take those documents with you when you left the White House? I had every right to under the Presidential Records Act. You have the Presidential Records Act. I was there and I took what I took and it gets declassified. That's not true. You're saying things you do not know what you're talking about. No one said that. Who said that? All I know is this. Everything I did was right. We have the Presidential Records Act, which I abided by 100 percent. I have the right to declassify as president. Were you involved? Were no, you involved? I wasn't. I Were you? No. <laughs> which one's guilty? Which one's innocent? Uh, it's pretty apparent to me. And I have to ask this and point this out first. You know, Donald Trump's tone, he's talking about policy, right? He talks about when he lays into Biden, it's about Biden's policies. It's not about well, it's about Biden and, you know, old man and all that kind of stuff, too. But when Biden criticizes Trump, it's not particularly specific. It's all about Donald Trump represents a threat to democracy. He doesn't get more specific. It's very weird. And I've got a question for Liz Cheney. What the hell are you talking about? I think every Republican donor who's giving him money needs to be held accountable for the fact that they're giving money to someone who has said publicly he thinks we can terminate the Constitution. He did attempt to overturn an election. Um, he's been found, you know, uh, liable for sexual assault, um, has now had to pay $83.3 million for that. I mean, this is, a, this is a, a really depraved individual. All right. It's the first part. It's the first part. She says she wants to hold people accountable who give money to Donald Trump because he is, she says, in her words, I don't agree with any of that, by the way, but he threatened to overturn the Constitution. She and her liberal friends literally threaten that every single day. Donald Trump was talking about a hypothetical post an election, if the election is proved fraudulent post-election, post-inauguration day, what do you do? The solution to that is extra-constitutional. Now, he was musing on Twitter, but she says this every single day, and this actually is a call to throw out the Constitution. I knew then that, that he had to be impeached and removed. He was a clear and present danger. It was you know, obvious that he was not uh, sending help. He was not telling the mob to stop. There's a clear and present danger. Democrats painting a damning picture of a lawless president. Donald Trump is a clear and present danger to our country. A Donald Trump, who's likely the GOP nominee, is a clear and present danger. Donald Trump is a clear and present danger to democracy. None of them know why they're saying that particular phrase. It just sounds great. It's uh, out of a Tom Clancy book, right? Clear and present danger. Clear and present danger has constitutional impact, all right? The Supreme Court during World War I looked at a case, and let me go through it here. In Schenck versus the United States in 1919, 
I guess, is that post-World War I? Right around there. The Supreme Court invented the famous clear and present danger test to determine when a state could constitutionally limit an individual's free speech rights under the First Amendment. They're the ones talking about limiting constitutional rights, even suspending the Constitution. That clear and present danger they feel so strong about and applying it to Trump, they're the ones who are against democracy. Also, Joe, getting nastier, getting stranger, and this whole thing about NATO, Joe, it, you said you try to unify the country. What about explaining things? You know, Richard Nixon actually used to, with a map, he'd actually brief the country with a map and talk about Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia. This guy's just yelling and screaming all the time. All of us should reject the dangerous statements made by the previous president that invited Russia to invade our NATO allies if they weren't paying up. He said if an ally did not pay their dues, He'd encourage Russia to, quote, do whatever the hell they want. I guess I should clear my mind here a little bit and not say what I'm really thinking. But let me be clear. This is an outrageous thing for a president to say. I can't fathom. All right. Donald Trump is trying to strengthen NATO, get the countries to pay to ensure their defense, our defense, right? That's, the, that's a key part of the alliance. And oh, by the way, the alliance, it's not in the Constitution. NATO is not certified. Our founding fathers knew nothing about NATO. It is not unthinkable to talk about, well, you know, maybe we need NATO, maybe we don't. It's okay. The deep state says it's not. Our Constitution, it's fine. It is fine to entertain these thoughts. Joe put out a particularly bizarre, he thinks this NATO thing is a real opportunity for him. This bizarre video, bizarre, again, sorry. Take a look. An attack on one is an attack on all. That's what NATO's Article 5 says. It's a simple but powerful concept and it embodies why one of America's greatest sources of strength is our alliances. They're not only important to us, they're important to the rest of the world. In the entire history of NATO, Article 5 has only been invoked once to stand with the United States of America after we were attacked on 9-11. The whole world knows if any adversary were to attack us, our NATO allies would have our back. And they know we would have their backs as well. And that's why what the former president said was so dangerous. He said he would encourage Russia to, and I quote, do whatever the hell they want, end of quote. A statement heard around the world that does nothing but encourage bad behavior. Always telling ghost stories, always trying to frighten people over race. Now, uh, the NATO alliance, oh, horrible things are going to happen. And by the way, if you ever get into a debate with somebody about this, ask them to name all 31 countries in NATO. See how far they get. We'll be right back. Well, here they are on their latest adventure. Annalise and her little sister Madeline playing with the, <laughs> one of those great big ball pits. Uh... I think one of them is drowning in the balls. Anyway, love them so much. One is two and one is four. There's two-year-old Madeline. Love you, babies. I'll see you tomorrow.